0: Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning comes from John chapter 1. Verses 29 through 42 is gonna be the focus for our sermon today. Here, the Apostle John continues the narrative of Jesus' life, and as Jesus' life comes into contact with his cousin, the prophet, John the Baptist. What you're gonna notice in this lesson today and the continuation of John, our next lesson, is this historical account, reveals consecutive days of what's happening in the early ministry of Jesus Christ. Two paragraphs here are gonna start the next day and then the next day. This is John chapter one, beginning at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy. you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went. And saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John, the Baptist, had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. This is the gospel of your Lord. You may be seated. What do you want? Perhaps a more fun and a more thought-provoking way to think about that question is the good old question of, if you had three wishes and you could have anything that you wanted, what would you wish for? Would you wish for your dream house, maybe your dream job, or maybe skip both those two and just wish to win the lottery to take care of all that? Would you wish for better health? Would you wish for more time in your day, in your week? Or more time with your loved ones, your family, and your friends? What do you want? What would you wish for if you had three wishes for anything that you wanted? Maybe something more altruistic. Maybe you'd wish to end world hunger, to end poverty everywhere, to end racism. Maybe you'd wish to find a cure for for all cancers, maybe a cure for coronavirus and all viruses so there's no more pandemics. What would you wish for? Would you wish for world peace, peace in your own nation? Peace in your own family, peace in yourself, peace of mind. What do you want? Maybe you think that's a silly exercise. Maybe you're really interested in in thinking about what your three wishes are. Maybe you're thinking about it and you're thinking, ah, my answers always change. And, and they might change throughout your life. I mean, there was a time where my wishes maybe would have been to fly and to play in the NBA, but I don't really want either of those things anymore. Except maybe to fly still, that'd be all right. But no matter what, whether you're thinking of it consciously or you're not and it's just subconscious, the reality is you all have an answer to that question because we all have wants. So what do you want? What do you want from yourself, from your new year and your future, from your family, from your friends? What do you want from your church? What do you want from Jesus? That's a question that drives at the heart of our lives, our tomorrows, our futures, and everything else. What is it that you want? Truthfully, what are you doing here this morning? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? Do you even know what you want? It's an important question. It's a necessary question. And so as we begin our sermon series in the book of John, where we are journeying throughout the entire book, it's the question that we're going to ask ourselves this morning. We're going to ask that important, necessary question, not just for the sake of the question, but because that is the question that Jesus asked. His first disciples. That is the very first words from Jesus in the gospel of John. What do you want? We read about it just a moment ago. When John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I don't know, maybe we picture that Jesus would say something like, what do thou seekest? But what does he say? What are you boys seeking? What do you want? So it's the question that we're gonna look at this morning. It's a question that we need to think about because it really does drive to the heart of the things that we desire. It drives to what it is that is in our hearts. And that's why Jesus asked it, but we're not going to spend too long on the matter of what we want. Because the truth is that what we want from Jesus may be different than what Jesus gives us, but what Jesus does give to us is liberating and it is life-changing. Those are the two things that I wanna look at this morning, that what you get from Jesus, it has an effect on you. It has an effect in that it is liberating and life-changing. It is something that frees us and something that changes us, and it has to. It must be that way. If what we get from Jesus is not liberating, and is not life-changing, well, then we're not looking at, we're not beholding the real Jesus. Let me explain that. When you go to an ATM machine, what is it that you expect to receive from the ATM? You expect that if you put in your pin, you're going to receive cold, hard cash. What you don't expect is a personal handwritten note that says, help, please call my boss or the police. But that's exactly what happened at an ATM in Corpus Christi, Texas. A number of people walked up to the ATM machine and they got that personal note handwritten delivered out of the machine and they thought it was a joke. Until one good Samaritan took the note to the bank, called the police and the company who worked and owned that ATM machine. And sure enough, they came there and broke it down, kicked in the door, and out came a red-faced, very embarrassed technician who had locked himself inside. The officer reporting to that scene of the incident, his name was Officer Richard Olden, and he told the newspapers that you will never again see in your life someone locked inside an ATM machine. But Officer Olden, he's wrong. Just go to a good many Christian churches in America, read the majority of Christian authors on Amazon's top selling list. Or ask very many Christians, and what you'll find is that there is someone locked inside of an ATM. It's Jesus. This Jesus ATM or transactional Lord is the one that a good many people tell tales about. And the reason that I say tales about is because, well, You never actually see this Jesus in real life and you certainly don't read about him in scripture. And yet there are people who believe in this ATM Jesus who claim that all you need to do to have what you want, well, is just take a step towards him, approach this Jesus, and he is the one inside distributing the goods to good people. You want a little forgiveness in your life for all the bad things that you've done? You want to improve your spirituality, have a little more religion in your life? Well, just go up to the ATM, push in the right numbers, and you'll get that. Do you want to have a stronger marriage, stronger health? Do you want to have more friends, more money, more opportunities, less stress, less heartache? just punch in your pin, prove you're legit, and you'll get this from him. Do the seven steps of conversion, and what you'll get out of the ATM is cold, hard forgiveness from your God. Decide that you really want this God to be Lord and ruler supreme in your life. On the ATM, Jesus he will just smooth everything out between you and God the Father. It really doesn't matter what the transaction is. The mechanism is all the same. What do you want? Well, you take the step, and if you push the right buttons, then you'll get it. It's transactional and conditional. It's if, it's then. It's before you want to get something, you need to do something. It's before you can be accepted, you need to do a thing. Sadly, this is the tale. This is the Jesus, this ATM Jesus that is popular to so many people. And this transactional Lord, well, it was the prevailing idea of who God was for, for very many people in John the Baptist's day. The religious leaders in Israel, they believed that if you wanted to be in God's good side, well, just do X, Y, and Z. Just pray. Fast, give, and sacrifice enough, and then you can be one of God's children. And that is why John the Baptist's message had his listeners shook. This is what John said to the crowds. He said, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And again, the next day, John was standing there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him saying this, they followed Jesus. What intrigued the two disciples of John the Baptist was a never-before-heard term applied to the Messiah, the Lamb of God. It was a name for Jesus, a term pointing to Jesus that these disciples had never heard, but it immediately made an impact on them, and they were intensely intrigued. Why? I don't think we really understand the full weight and the profound nature of the name Lamb of God. It doesn't really resonate with us because we don't see lambs very often in our lives. So let me just take a minute to unpack that for your spiritual benefit. Because you see, the first two disciples of Jesus, they knew that name meant something. And the reason why was because the idea that a lamb, that a lamb could have spiritual benefit for a person. Well, that was a concept that was as old as time. Go back to Genesis chapter four. We meet Cain and Abel. You remember those brothers, right? Brothers that had a sibling rivalry. Well, that rivalry started because Abel brought the first of his flock. sacrifice it to the Lord. The Hebrew word for flock is sheep or lamb, and he sacrificed it to God. So there in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 4, what we see is this concept that killing a lamb had spiritual benefit for an individual. Fast forward from Genesis 4 to the end of Genesis, where the Hebrew nation now is, is under captivity in Egypt. Look at the 10th plague and and what you see is that that God promised the angel of death would pass over Egypt and all the firstborn males would die, except... The Lord revealed through his prophet, through Moses, that he would spare the lives of the firstborn in all of the homes where they took a lamb. They took a lamb, sacrificed it, killed it, took its blood, and painted it above the doorframe in their homes so that when the angel of death passed over that's why we celebrate and call it the Passover they would live. So what we see is this idea that the killing of a lamb, it not only had spiritual benefit for first an individual, but also a family. Move on from Genesis into Exodus, where God's people had actually made the Exodus out of Egypt. And there we see that God sets up the sacrificial system in Israel, the system, the the rules and laws that were going to govern the ceremonies that covered their worship lives. And what does God say? Priests, in the morning and in the evening, day after day, you are to take a lamb and sacrifice it for the sins, the ignorant sins of Israel. This tells us two things. It tells us, first of all, that people are accountable for sins, even sins they don't know that they committed. And second, that the killing of a lamb has spiritual benefit, not only for an individual not only for a family, but also for an entire nation. These are the lessons, this is the message that parents and priests would pound into good little boys and girls who lived in Israel. And it was a lesson impressed on generation of generation, especially the naughty little boys and girls in Israel, that a lamb had spiritual benefit for you. One Bible commentator said that the prevailing question that summarizes the entire Old Testament is this. Where's the lamb? So are you starting to see why John's message had such an impact on those who are listening to him? Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the what? Not just the family, not just the individual, not the nation, but the sins of the world. Look, the lamb of God who takes away your sins, my sins forever. And how was he able to do this? Well, John the Baptist tells us this as well. He says this in verse 32. He said, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. How was it that this lamb could take away the sin of the world? It's because what dripped from the cross between heaven and earth was not the blood of the lamb, a lamb. It was not the blood of only a person. This was the blood of God, the son of God, true God, yet true man, who was the lamb of God, who took away the sins of the whole world. Look, this lamb of God took away the whole world's sins. And so if you're a part of that, that means your sin. And it wasn't just plural sins. Did you catch that? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the singular sin of the world. All other sacrifices, all other lambs covered the sins between point A and point B. It's why the Passover was celebrated year after year. It's why the priests offered a sacrifice at morning and at dusk each and every day, day after day. But this one, all sin of all the world was lumped together on him for every man, woman, and child. I mean, what is it that you want? What more could you want? Jesus didn't come to be some genie in a bottle who offers three wishes. He didn't come to end world hunger, to end crime everywhere. Jesus didn't come to give you a stronger health, to give you stronger relationships in your life. Jesus didn't come for these things. Look, he came to give you, or rather to take from you something, to take your sin and give you everything that is his. Oftentimes, what we want from Jesus, well, it may not be what we get from him, but it is something that has a liberating effect on you. Jesus is not a transactional Lord. He is the sacrificial lamb. All the lambs of the Old Testament, they were not made in such a way or God didn't design this system so that you would have some kind of transaction take place where you sin, you offer this lamb. No, all of those lambs were sacrificial. They were to point you to the one sacrificial lamb who came for you and didn't ask anything of you, didn't make you commit, didn't make you follow seven steps before you gave, he gave you his love, but he came for you and completely and wholly took away all of your sins and gave you all of his forgiveness and all of his love. What do you want? What more do you want from him? This Jesus came and he took your sins and it has a liberating effect on you and me. Look, it's often not the sins In fact, it never is the sins that we commit in ignorance that bother us. We don't know we did them. Very rarely is it the sins that, well, we committed this morning or yesterday morning that really weigh on us. But it's the sins. The sins that you can't forget, that you did last week or month or maybe, maybe even years ago that weigh on you. It's those sins that feel like the weight of the world crushing on you, that make you feel like you're in a prison of guilt and shame and there's no escape. It's those sins that don't let you feel like you're free in Christ that his gospel, that his message has a liberating effect on you. But look, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And we know it's, it's, it's all too easy to have that self-talk that says, yeah, I know Jesus, God so loved the whole world, forgives the whole world, but not me, not my sins. I know he forgave Peter and Paul and he forgave John and he forgave my, my family and friends, but not me. Look, that's not humility being in despair, being in a despondent position, that's not humility. It is the height of arrogance and the height of ignorance to think that you can do something that God can't undo. He has taken away all of your sins. When he says to you that God came, sent Jesus, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, that includes you, every man, woman, and child. John the Baptist showed up and he did not announce, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the church. He didn't say, look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of those who believe and those who don't do really big sins. He didn't say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins for those who can step up to the ATM and punch all the right buttons and prove they're really dedicated. He said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away your sins and mine. What you get from Jesus is often not what you expect to get from him, but it has a liberating effect on you. You wanna know what I want? (laughs) You wanna know what I want each and every Sunday or each and every time that you hear the word of God at this church? I want you to leave. I want you to go away from that gathering. And I want you to feel free, to feel liberated, to feel and know that your conscience is clear because you are right with God. The blood of the lamb has covered over all your sins. Though they're like scarlet, you are as white as snow, dressed in the robes of righteousness that Christ has clothed you with. That's what I want. And I know that's what you want. So look, the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world and he has a liberating effect on us and a life-changing effect as well. You know, one of my favorite things about the lamb of God being a sacrificial lamb and not a transactional Lord or an ATM Jesus? You don't ever see the ATM Jesus. He's locked behind some machine. But you see the lamb, you know the lamb. And that was true for his first disciples. We read this in chapter one, verses 35 and following. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "'Look, the Lamb of God.' When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, "'What do you want?' He said, "'Rabbi,' which means teacher. "'Where are you staying?' "'Come,' he replied, "'and you will see.' So they went and saw where he was staying And they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Andrew was one of the two disciples who followed Jesus. Because of that, Andrew's often credited with being the first disciple of Jesus. There was two. You want to know who the other one was? It was the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was John. And we know this because John wrote this book, and he doesn't refer to himself in this book, but he reveals a lot of details that says, that was me. John was writing this at the end part of his life, and in all likelihood, he was a young man when Jesus called him to follow him. And he wants you to know, it was a life-changing day. I remember what time it was, John says. It was four in the afternoon when I beheld the Lamb of God who took away my sins. And it wasn't what I expected to get from him, but John's saying it it had a life-changing effect on me. Did you notice that? Jesus asked his disciples the question, what do you want? You notice what their reply was? They answered Jesus' question with a question. They said, where are you staying? In Jesus' day, in that time, if if you wanted to enter into a a formal relationship with a rabbi or a a teacher, a religious expert, what, what you would do is change your life. You would go to where they were going and you would find out where they lived. And if you wanted them to teach you everything that they knew about God, about scriptures, about life, well, you'd go live where they lived or stay where they were staying. And, and so when John and Andrew asked that question, Rabbi, where are you staying they're not dismissing his question of, of what do you want. They're answering it. They're answering it in a faith-filled and amazing way. They're saying, Lord, we want to know more about you. We believe that you are the Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. So what, what do we want? Well, we want everything that you have. We want to know everything that, well, you know, and we want to know everything about you. We don't want to be just your fans we wanna be your followers. What they got from Jesus, the Lamb of God, it, it had a life-changing effect on them. And it can on you too. I wanna to illustrate it in, in this way, maybe. This past week, I met a mutual friend of another friend of mine. And we got to talking about life and, and, and family. And he said, hey, my my dad's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I said, well, no way. That's where my father's from and, and lives right now. My new friend stopped and he said, wait a second. Are you a Green Bay Packer fan? I answered affirmatively, yes, yes, I am. And, and what followed in that conversation was, well, he and I proving to one another that we were definitely fans, We talked about this season and past seasons. We talked about players and their statistics. We talked about the playoffs. We talked about the Super Bowl. We talked about past Super Bowls. And we talked about our odds at winning this Super Bowl. Anyone who is listening to that conversation would have known beyond a shadow of doubt, here are two Packer fans. But the topic that filled the majority of our conversation was how much we are fans of the Packers head coach. We talked about how we love this coach, how we think he's an amazing person and he's done great work in the few years that he's been the head coach. But you wanna know what would happen if my new friend and I went to Green Bay, Wisconsin and went to a game at Lambeau Field? We'd sit in the stands. We'd sit in the stands because, well, even though we know about the head coach, we don't know him personally. We don't have a relationship with him. We're not really followers of him. We're just fans. We just overlap our lives with him for a few hours on Sunday afternoons. But the players, the players know him. They know their coach, they have a relationship with their coach, and they follow his directions. They follow every word that he says and they try to execute it with exact details Monday through Saturday so that they do it also on Sundays on game day. They're his followers. If they don't follow their coach, well, then they'll find themselves out of a job and up in the stands with the rest of the fans. They're followers, not fans, see where I'm going with this? There is not a person here this morning who is not a part of the Jesus fan club. There is not a person listening to the sermon online or listening to the podcast later who is not a fan of Jesus. In fact, you shout his praises. You get together with other fans of Jesus and for a few hours on Sundays, you praise his name. He is great. You know what work he's done and you think it's amazing. But there's a difference between that and knowing him, being in a relationship with him and being his follower. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Jesus asked his disciples, his first disciples, John and Andrew, what do you want? And their response was that we want to be your followers. He asked us the same question as well. And hear me, hear me clearly on this. Our answer to that question is not some kind of contractual, transactional thing where if we devote ourselves as fully devoted followers of God, then he'll love us. No, 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 no. Do not mistake what I am saying for that. What I'm saying is that when you behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world, including your sins, it has a life-changing effect on you. And so when you answer the question, what do you want? It is a natural outflow of joy because we have seen the outpouring of the blood of the lamb. And so we say, what we want is to be your follower. What we want is to be where we are. Where are you staying, Jesus? Where can you be found? Because I want to gather there. I want to be there. I want to join there with other followers. What you get from Jesus may not be what you always expect, but it has a life-changing effect on you are you a fan or are you a follower? I want you to think about that question the next time you're presented with an opportunity to grow in your faith, to grow in your relationship with Jesus. For example, starting this week, I'm asking you to sign up for life groups. I'm asking you to sign up and be a part of one of five life groups where you'll have the opportunity to dive into his word, to gather where Jesus is staying, where Jesus is found in his word, and there grow closer and grow to have a powerful relationship with him. When I text you or, or email you or call you up this week and ask you to sign up to one of those five groups... how you answer that question will show me and, and show yourself if you're a fan or if you're a follower. When one of the life group leaders texts you and says, hey, would, would you join me for about an hour on Tuesday nights? And you say, oh my goodness, taking an hour out of my busy Tuesday night and my busy life. Yes, yes, that's really what they're asking you. You see, because when you behold the Lamb, what it has on you is an effect. An effect that is liberating and life-changing. Might not be what you expect, but more importantly than asking whether or not you're a fan or a follower, ask yourself this, if Jesus is the Lamb of God who has taken away your sins, which do you want to be? The Lamb of God is not an ATM Jesus or a transactional Lord. He is the sacrificial Lamb, and that means he is near you. He is near you in his word. He is near you wherever two or three gather together around his word. And that means that that your Jesus is is one you can see, is one that you can behold. He's not hidden behind some ATM machine. That means that your Jesus is the lamb who is smiling ear to ear next to you, laughing you, loving, laughing with you and loving you and giving you all of his grace, grace on top of grace, grace in place of grace, grace and then more grace. And why? It's not because you committed It's not because you decided that you're gonna step up and take the first step and punch in all the right numbers, do all the right things. You wanna know why? It's because of what Jesus wants. You, his beloved. Amen.